This is a podcast by Wellhouse Church, where we take a closer look and dig a little deeper into this week's sermon. I so badly want to start every episode. I don't know why. Maybe it's the the new TikTok culture, but I so badly want to start every episode with "Ayo, what's poppin'?" <laughs> why? I don't is that know. on TikTok? I'm not on TikTok, so I don't know. Oh yeah, it's one of those like songs that people will do. Um. It, it's a, it's a rap song, and the the first line of the song is "Ayo, what's popping? Don't mind me, just watch it." Oh, yeah. okay, I have heard that audio. And so, so I every time we start an episode, I don't know why, I always want to start with "Ayo, what's popping?" That's so funny. <laughs> yeah, no, I not in the TikTok scene, but that's made its way over to the Instagram reels. Right. Yeah, I don't know why. I I just. <laughs> So if I do that in the future, don't be alarmed. It's a joke. Yeah, it's a joke. <laughs> um, okay, so new series. Yeah. New series. Week one. Um, what's the name of the series? It's Coming. The Coming. Yeah, The Coming. That's awesome. Yeah, so there's a few things. I wanted to do something different for Advent this year. Yeah. Um, Advent's really special. And in the onset of Advent, actually, Advent was originally done around Easter. Right. Uh, because the whole idea was looking at the coming of Christ. Yeah. Uh, which we would look at as the second coming, the final coming, the culminating coming. And then somewhere throughout church history, it got moved to Christmas and was joined with the birth of Jesus, the initial coming of the Messiah. Mm-hmm. And in that, we lost the celebration of the final coming with it. Yeah, that's so funny because um, around the time of Easter, people start um, doing Lent, right? So I, I'm so curious in where in church history Lent got implemented and Advent got moved. Um, was it, so they... It wasn't that Lent got implemented. They were running simultaneously. Oh, okay. But because it, you had Lent and Pentecost, like, all right there, and then trying to do Advent. They just moved Advent to later. They moved the it later, yeah. Oh, well, interesting. And then it got connected with Jesus' birth, right? We actually right. don't think that Jesus was born in December. Right. Uh, in fact, it's highly unlikely because nobody traveled in the winter. Right. <laughs> so It's probably more likely springtime. Yeah, spring, yeah. Uh, early summer. Yeah. So realistically, um, they just moved it for logistical reasons. Right. Well, Advent is still an important time. Oh, it's absolutely important. And that's why I wanted to do something different. And I wanted to focus on, because I think when we think about Advent, a lot of the times we just think about poinsettias and yeah, little baby Jesus. Yeah. Um, which uh, is fine. I'm not knocking that at all. That's yeah. a, definitely an element. But the Gospels are doing something different when they're announcing Jesus is coming. Mm-hmm. They say good news. Right. Right. And that's a, that's a political word. Um, yeah. It's a word for people to use when a new king is here. 
And so it can't only be about the little baby, right? It's not to negate that. The Gospels do bring that out. But we have four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Only two of them record the infancy narratives. Mm. Two others don't even do it. Right. John does his own thing, and Mark no. doesn't talk about it. No. And so I just looked at the, the Gospels and said, you know, these are each communicating something very different about who Jesus is and what he's accomplishing when he's here. It doesn't make any of them wrong. No. They can all be right and be different. And so I just wanted a series to highlight some of the different things that are being announced with the coming yeah. and what that means for living now, expecting the final coming. Right. So in, in last week's sermon, um, it was about the, the genealogy in yeah. Matthew, right? Yeah, people get weirded out about, like, I know a ton of preachers are like, oh, I never preach Matthew 1. Well, it's so hard. I uh, think it's easy. Yeah. It's one of my favorite sermons that I do. Yeah. It, but so for most people, when you're reading the genealogy, it's so-and-so begot so-and-so and so-and-so married so-and-so and they begot so-and-so, right? And it's just like, oh, my Lord, right? It just becomes so, like, just draining kind of to read. It can be kind of boring if you don't know what to look for. It can't, yeah. So that's what I would say it can be. If you approach it as just a list of names, it's pretty boring. Yeah. But if you approach it in two ways, number one, with the idea that it is a list of names, but names embody stories. Right. People embody stories. They have a narrative that comes with their name. Um, it's just the way it works, right? You could do this with anyone. Name a famous person, and there's a narrative that goes with their story. Yeah. Name someone you're close to, and there's a narrative that goes with that story. And so when you look at it, it is a list of names. It's also a list or a progression of stories that are telling a much larger story. Right. Uh, and that's what I think is so beautiful about it because, as we've talked about on many of our podcasts, the ancient world is a highly, highly patriarchal society like women are just devalued um at every turn and yet in this genealogy there are five women there are five women listed in the lineage of jesus meaning they're extremely important you would think so no. they're at least important enough that they step out of the comfort the author steps out of the comfort zone to write them in right but I think back on it, I'm like, you know, who are some of the, like, big, big women of faith that we could think about? Oh, I mean, you got Ruth, you got Esther. Um, I don't know. I would throw Rahab in there. Um, uh, you think you think Rahab is, like, she's a matriarch of the faith? I wouldn't call her a matriarch of the faith, but I would say that she's extremely important. Her um, story is so minuscule in the narrative. Yeah, but, th I mean, this is a conversation for another time, but, um, yeah, I think she's important. Oh, I'm not negating that she's important. Yeah. But you are on the other side of this. You've also heard me preach this sermon before. I mean, yes, but... but 
So she is important, but if you're just looking at the overall narrative, it, it seems unimportant. Well, how could you not include Eve? Oh, well, yeah. I mean, how could you not include Sarah? Yeah. I mean, there are so many women that are like so important to the big, biblical narrative. Big women that could have been put here. Yeah. That are not. Yeah. And yet the five that are put here, they come with a ton of baggage in their stories. Right. So of the five women you have, and it's interesting, this genealogy goes in three sections of 14. Mm. Okay, Okay. so I think that's something else here. But it goes from Abraham to David, from David to the exile, and from the exile to Jesus. Okay. Just You need to know that because if you were actually going to go line all these names up, there are people missing. There's gaps in the narrative. Um, and it's because they're doing something theological with that grouping of three, 14, three, the divine number, right? seven or 14 and multiple seven. Like there's a lot going on there with numerology and structure, but a lot of things that are probably boring to a lot of people. I would think so. So I'm going to ignore them. Yeah. But I just want people to know, like, yes. There is a system. There's a system here, and it's okay that there's gaps in the people. Like, that shouldn't alarm you. It shouldn't throw you off. It's just the way they're doing the narrative. But the first one is in verse 3. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, by Tamar. Now, who is Tamar? Long story, um, but as my memory recalls, she was a prostitute, right? Uh, no. Okay, so I was wrong. What What's Tamar's story? That is a crazy deal that happens there. So, Tamar, Tamar marries into a family. She marries... A brother, mm. a, a male son, and the story says that God killed him for his wickedness. Yeah, very like very weird and obscure passage there. Um, but in Jewish custom, the what would have happened so that the name of your brother could carry on through his children, which they didn't have kids yet, you would marry, the next oldest brother would marry his widow, and any children had in his name would be named after the the fallen brother, mm. the one that had died. So the story goes on to tell that like this happens, but then we get this weird this weird verse that says Excuse me, but he let his seed fall on the ground. Mm. It's like so. The whole purpose of marrying her is to give her children, right? And he's literally doing the thing in order to provide her children without actually going all the way through in order to provide, provide her, her children. children. Yeah, he's abusing her. Yeah, that's what it is. It's sexual exploitation and abuse. Yeah, because he controls that piece. Then it says. God was very angered at his wickedness and killed him too. 
Mm. So this weird progression here, we didn't get a narrative about the first brother, right? just that God killed him for his wickedness. Now we get a narrative about the second brother and are told that he's killed because of his wickedness. So presumably the, the fallback is that both were abusing her. Right. Like they were not good to Tamar. So just a messed up family. Very messed up. So daddy, he, she's a black widow. Right. So he's like, uh-uh, I got one son left. You're not marrying him. You go away. No. When he comes of age, I'll send for you for you to marry him. Well, she gets word that he's come of age. He never sent for him. Mm. So she gets dressed and goes to wait for him. Now, it doesn't tell us how she's dressed. Just that she's veiled. Mm. And so when Judah, the daddy, right. sees her, he thinks she's a prostitute and he indulges in her services. Mm. And she goes forward with it because like there's a promise there that he does that I don't have time to get into. Like it's a whole thing about she thinks this is a way to get her restored back to what's owed to her. Yeah. Well, then he figures it all out and he like repents and like it's this whole ordeal, but he gets her pregnant. Mm. So like weird kind of family dynamic going on there. But the whole reason I bring that up is because remember in the story of Jacob, he wants to marry Rachel. Right. But his daddy or Rachel's daddy tricks him into marrying Leah first. Yeah. Right. Do you remember how he tricks him? So he tricked him by saying like, yeah, you can marry Rachel, blah, 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 blah. But he veiled Leah. Right. And he then veiled her. Yeah, and so you couldn't tell you couldn't tell Leah from Rachel. He veiled her and it was acceptable. It was her wedding gown. Right. I think that her veil, I think Tamar's veil is a sign not of prostitution, but of her expectancy of a wedding. Mm. So it says that Judah thought she was a prostitute. Right. But there's nothing in the story that leads us to believe that she was. That she was or yeah. or was there for that position. He just exploited her. Yeah. And so you have this weird story of like sexual exploitation and constant sexual exploitation. And kind of a weird demented like form of incest. Yeah. Not really incest because it's father-in-law, but even but still. still that's strange. Right? Even the pagans don't do that. Like it's weird. Yeah. So, and yet, that story listed in here explicitly, Tamar is listed in yeah. the lineage of Jesus. By the way, um, what? so where where is that found? Can you think of it off the top of your head? Or is that something we need to list in the show notes? Because um, if you haven't read that, you should. Yeah, so it it is a cool... Not cool. I need to go back and reread it probably two or three times, but um, it's a, it, it's crazy. Yeah, it is crazy. Um, 
It is a very weird story. It's Genesis 38. Genesis 38. I'll also put it in the show notes, but it's yeah. Genesis 38. Um, go go read go read that. That will uh Yeah. It's probably it, like I would say it's as dramatic as like Game of Thrones. <laughs> It's pretty crazy. It is pretty whack. It's um, pretty whack. Uh, and we're not we're not good readers of our Bibles, so no. we miss these stories. But if yeah. we read our Bibles, we'd be shocked. Stephen King can't write this fiction. I mean, this this is insane. Some of the stories that you'll find in here. Yeah, because no, it's fair. They're not fiction. They're real stories. Like these are it's things real that happen. Life. Um. And so it's just fascinating that Tamar is listed in there like that. Then as it continues on, we already mentioned it, but in verse 5, we get, And Salmon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab. Yeah. Interesting. Who's Rahab? Well, Rahab actually is a prostitute. She is a prostitute. Um, Jericho? Yeah, Jericho. Yep. Um, that all of the uh, Israelite men, when they come to the city of Jericho, two spies, uh, two spies. If if you ask me, I think they're probably partaking in her services. Um, so why do you think that? Well, so first of all, <laughs> you don't. At that time, women are kind of expendable, right? Especially prostitutes. And these men have been walking a long time. And I'm pretty sure that they're there. That's how they run into her, right? Like, So there's nothing in the story and the narrative that leads you to that? It's just like your understanding of men? Yeah, I think probably it's just my okay. understanding of men. Um, I don't know. Maybe there's something there that I need to go back and search for. But well, I'll go ahead and tell you. Just, just my logic. Like, I think that they're there to have sex with Rahab. So I'm, I'm just, I think there are a few things that lead them there. So there's spies going in, right? Jericho's right. A, a city that's conquered. And as they're, and well, they need a ruse to get in the city. Yeah. And so it does. Travelers would come in and it doesn't, it wouldn't seem out of place that they would go to the house of a prostitute from the beginning. All right. Like that makes sense. Um, the thing that I think leads me to believe that they were there for her services is because in the text it says she recognized them as Israelites mm. and that they served the God of Israel. Mm. What did God say was the sign of the covenant with him and the, his people? Circumcision. Yep. The only way she would know that they were Israelites is if she saw their penises. Yeah. That's the only way she could know uh, they were Israelites. <laughs> there was nothing else. Yeah. Um. So anyways, I definitely think they're there for her services and the story goes, she protects them. And then because she protected them, they protect her and graft her into the community. Yeah. So once again, like sexual exploitation, yeah. Like sexual abuse, like not the kind of quote unquote classy woman that you want listed in your genealogy. Yeah. It's once again, a very weird and peculiar story. For someone to tell. Yeah. Then we get the third woman. In the same verse, Ruth. Yeah. This one is mind-boggling. So who's Ruth? So 
I have, I'm going to be completely honest. I haven't read the story of Ruth probably since I was, I don't know, 10 years old. Okay. So what do you remember? I remember that she was from a foreign land. It's from a foreign land. Yep. Um, living with her aunt, right? Her aunt. Her mother-in-law. Her mother-in-law. Naomi. That's right. Naomi. Um, and as she's living with her mother-in-law, there's this really powerful, rich dude. Boaz. Boaz. That ends up falling in love with her. Mm-hmm. And she's a peasant, right? Mm-hmm. And picks her up. They get married and do the things. Yep. So, once again. K-I-S-S-I-N-G. Right? Yeah. Like, yeah. Very, very interesting story. Just like it, like Nicholas Sparks could have written it. Yeah, 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 very interesting story. There's this weird thing about she sits at his feet, yeah. like this very kind of intimate, yeah, yeah, romantic experience, like very much so cool. But in the ancient world, you know people, right? Like so and so the Israelite, so and so the Canaanite, so and so the Moabite, so and so whatever. And so like your nationality like your alignment. It's important to who you are. It's super important to who you are. Ruth is a Moabite. Yeah. Who was Moab? It's a pagan god, right? Nope. Moab's a real person. Oh, then I have no idea. Moab is the name of Lot's son from his ancestral relationship with his daughter. After Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis 19. Okay, so an entire group of people named after that. Yep. And he goes off. It's the Moabite people named after him. Yeah. And <laughs> legit, it's it's created on incest. Once again, sexual exploitation. This time, yeah. weird woman to man. Yeah. Right? They get him so drunk. Now... I'm just not buying that. Nobody's getting that drunk that they don't understand that that's their daughter. Yeah. It's a weird thing. The, the, yeah. So I'm not totally doing it, but the women, the daughters do plot this out. They say, let's get him drunk so that we can have a kid. Yeah. So it's definitely them trying to exploit him once again. And also sometimes when you are like just drunk, drunk, Downstairs don't work so well. Oh, right? yeah, I do. Um, yeah. So if you're like blackout drunk, yeah. Yeah, downstairs don't work so well. And I think that the only way that you could be drunk enough to not recognize your daughters is if you are blackout drunk. Yeah. And I'm not so, convinced that the downstairs would even work. Yeah. So there's definitely something there. Once again, you got a story like just weird sexual exploitation. Yeah. In the story of Jesus. Yeah. It's like, oh my gosh, this is fascinating that these are the women that are chosen to be recorded here. Yeah. I mean, so first of all, I mean, it kind of says, it says a lot, right? But the two things that really stick out to me that it says is it says that um, women are definitely equal and deserve the same place as men, right? But the second thing that it says is God does amazing things through deplorable human beings. Yeah. Right. Isn't like those are the two main things that it says to me. 
Um, I don't know. That's just me, though. But well, I think I think it's leading up to that. We yeah. got two more women we got to cover. Oh well, yeah. But so the next one is Bathsheba. Yeah, but she's not even. The author doesn't even write mm. her name. He doesn't even write her name in the narrative. All he says, this is uh, in the second half of verse six, and David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. Yeah. He doesn't even use her name. Number one, probably because that story is polarizing. Oh, yeah. Everybody knows that story. Yeah. But we get it wrong. When we tell the story, once again, we're not good readers of a Bible. So the story says, this is in uh, Samuel. can't remember. I'll look it up right now. But the story goes that at the time when kings are supposed to be out to war, yeah. David is at home at the palace. He's not where he's supposed to be. He's not where he's supposed to be. And not only is he not where he's supposed to be, he's using his place of his position. This is 2 Samuel 11. He's using his position, his place and power to get to a spot where he sees something he's not supposed to see. So it says, right, he's supposed to be at war. He's not. So he gets up from laying on the couch, being lazy bum. While all of his people are fighting. Literally fighting his war. Yeah, fighting for their lives and for the lives of his entire kingdom. He's sitting on the couch. Chillaxing, Netflix and chill. Like That's exactly right. Yeah. So he gets bored, decides to take a stroll up on the roof of his palace. Literally the tallest place. Like, this dude's flexing big time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And he happens, because he's in that position of power, he can see down into some areas that he shouldn't be able to see in. Yeah. And he sees Bathsheba, we don't translate it well, cleansing herself. Yeah. She's not taking a bath. It's a cleansing ritual. She's performing a cleansing ritual. Yeah. She's being an honest... In like person of integrity. She's being a good Jewish woman. Yes. Yeah. David sees her from his position of power and tells his men, go get her for me. So real quick, the cleansing ritual that she's doing. Mm-hmm. Could it be actually that she had just come off of her cycle? Because It could be. There were lots of different reasons that, Someone would need to go through a cleansing ritual, but it could have been. Yeah. Um, it could have been for other reasons. Okay. Right. It, it could have been, uh, you know, she cut her foot open, right? Anytime oh, you have blood, okay. you got to go through a cleansing ritual. Okay. So it could be that she was menstruating. Right. But it doesn't necessarily have to be. Okay. There were other reasons that could have put her there. But David tells his men, go get her. Yeah. I don't care. I don't care what anybody says. That woman does not have a choice. No. When large armed guards from the king come get you, you don't have a choice. No, you're not coming willingly. No. The story is set up to let you know she's a woman of integrity. Yeah. And David takes advantage of her. Yeah. 
So then the story goes on. We don't have time. But she gets pregnant. And in order to try to hide it, David tries to bring her husband home, who's out fighting his war, brings her husband home to try to get him to go home and sleep with her so that he could pass it off as his baby. Yeah. Well, he doesn't do it. He actually He's the man that David was supposed to be. Yeah. In the narrative. He sleeps outside under the stars and said, how could I go home and be with my wife yeah. when my men are out at war? He's the man that David's supposed to be in the narrative. Yeah. So David kills him for it. <laughs> like, yeah. David sends him back with his own death warrant in his hand that he gives to the next commander, and they tell him to put it put him at the front of the fighting and withdraw yeah. to let him die. Yeah. Holy bull, man. What is happening yeah. in that story? David is an adulterer, a, woman. a rapist, and a, a murderer. murderer. Yeah. And that's the story so, that we get recorded here explicitly. Yeah, it's so funny because I don't know, what was it? Probably a month ago now, you and I were debating what was the craziest story in the Old Testament. We were debating between this one and uh, Tamar's story. <laughs> Those are two of them, man. Like, they're, they're crazy. And these women have been like just destroyed, straight destroyed. Straight destroyed. Yeah, and it's no wonder that when we get to Mary, oh, I, well, that's a whole other story. But never mind. We yeah. get to Mary. So Mary's engaged to Joseph, probably about thirteen years old. Shows up on the scene, says, "I'm pregnant, but I didn't have sex." Yeah. Who's believing that? Nobody. Nobody's believing that. Nobody. I mean, think about it, listener. Like, so if you're a dad, first of all, your daughter comes to you and says, hey, dad, I'm pregnant, but I didn't have sex. You're going to call BS, right? You're going to say, nope, didn't happen. And you're going to tell me some weird narrative about you're conceived of the Holy Spirit. (laughs) (laughs) I ain't buying it. Yeah. I'm not buying it. Yeah. And so Mary, she's teenage mom. Yeah. She's teen, out of wedlock, pregnant. Yeah. Society would say she's deplorable. Yeah. As they would with all five of these women. And so what's being communicated here from the author of the genealogy of Matthew? The... First of all, women are important. I do. Well, I mean, we kind of went through that, but like, um, I th- yeah, I think that he's definitely giving way for you to think about women in a new light. Yeah. Um, and saying that there's a new role, a new place for women in the new kingdom. But I also think he's very, he's very slickly saying, Jesus comes from brokenness for brokenness. Oh. Mm. Jesus has the same story in his history that you're living now or that you have. Yeah. And there's there's redemption for that. There's grace for that. There's restoration available in spite of that. Wow. If a king came from clean white lineage 
How can he actually go to the broken if he doesn't really know broken? This is telling us quite clearly that Jesus knows and understands brokenness. 